Christina Sloan had it all by society standards. She had the handsome husband, the seven-figure business, and the new 6,000-plus square foot home, until she realized that she didn't have herself. She began talking about pretty girl syndrome. She made some really authentic life choices to heal her PTSD, and she's here today telling us about it on the podcast with authenticity, heart, and holistic success. Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Christina is a business team strategist for Divine Feminine Creatives, the creator of Queen Support, the Business Queen Program, and Build Your Dream Team Curriculum. She works with women to move through their upper limits as they allow support into their business and lives. She is passionate about feminine and masculine harmony, embodiment work, and stepping outside of the box to find our own truths. She loves to support women as they share their sacred medicine with the world and allow in their next level of abundance. Okay, we are here with Christina Sloan. Hi, Christina. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. So I need your help remembering when we met. When did you run the Breaking Pretty Girl Syndrome interview series? Yeah, good question. Well, I know exactly when that was, which brings me back to imagining the first time we connected. I ran that spring of 2018. So about a year and a half ago. Okay. So that's when you and I were connected at first. And right before then you had done this really brave talk. And I would love to talk about that in our intro here. So there was this event called Deb X, D-E-B-X. And, um, I just watched your talk this morning um, in preparation for this conversation, and I'll definitely link it in our show notes. But you did an incredibly brave thing on a stage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A talk called, was it Pretty Girl Syndrome? Yes. Okay. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your message in that talk and what had gotten you to that point? Because I just think it's a really (laughs) important story to highlight. Sure. Yeah. Well, my message in the talk was basically sharing how I'd been suffering from what I 
named break, um, pretty girl syndrome. So I started to talk about breaking pretty girl syndrome after that. Um, but in, in my talk, I called it pretty girl syndrome, which was feeling totally paralyzed by the need to look good. Just feeling constrained by looking good to other people, looking like I have my life together and so looking good physically, looking good, like having stuff, looking mm-hmm. good, like like I was living life the way I should be. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. So all of that grouped together. And the reason it was so powerful for me to share it then and also so scary was that I had been so constrained by it that I was hiding a lot of the struggles that I had going on from a fairly recent divorce and needing to rebuild my life. And I didn't want anybody to know. And so I wasn't getting any of the support I needed and was just burying myself in a deeper and deeper hole by not being honest about it. Okay. So then you went onto this stage (laughs) and were so honest about it. And what made it so profound for me watching it, and and I want to hear what it was like uh, for you in that time giving this talk, but you were in it. You were telling the story and (laughs) there was this moment where you were like, and that was five days ago. <laughs> and yeah. I was watching that and I was like, she did it. She did. It. And I have chills right now as I'm saying it because you owned the vulnerability of the mess, like being in the mess. And we're either like, yeah, I went through that mess or we're covering up that we went through that mess or we're denying that that mess exists. <laughs> but totally. you owned it. Yeah. So can you talk about that decision to own it? Like, so you're, you're in the process of recognizing, oh, I'm in a mess. Mm -hmm. And then you decided to own it on stage, like in real time. Yeah. I mean, even hearing you say it back, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that was crazy. And it's hard hard to even like imagine the me that was on board with it. It was radical girl. Like it's still radical. You know, it is. And thank you just for speaking to it because that is how it felt. And I basically knew I was at such a rock bottom breaking point where I feel like when I got to that place and realized like something major has to change here, everything just kind of changed. And I was no longer in that place of having the filter of needing to look good and protecting myself. And it was just kind of like, okay, I need, like, I need a major shift right here. And all of a sudden everything just occurred differently for me. And this was kind of like the avenue that just seemed appropriate to do it in because it was this big commitment that I had coming up literally the next week. Mm-hmm. You had and part of the process before. was me sharing with Deb, the creator of DevX and my coach through it what was going on because she was also kind of like, what's going on? You haven't given me your talk. Are you still participating? And I wasn't responding to her. Yeah. So let's talk about how you had gotten to that point of a rock bottom. And thank you for naming that term because um, I think it's a, (laughs) I want everyone to, every woman to just know that term and and Mm -hmm. be like, 
oh yeah, this is a rock bottom. Now I get back up or, oh yeah, I'm in a rock bottom. I need to be here for a minute. You know, let's normalize that first of all. So thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah. Can you talk about what led to that rock bottom? Yeah, absolutely. It was, Really a lifetime in the making, <laughs> which I'll yeah. touch on just briefly, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll circle back to. Sure. But the most recent events were that I had gotten divorced. And at that point, it had been about three years prior. Okay. But it felt very recent because of the process I went through. So for me, getting divorced was the beginning of breaking up this dream life that I thought I had. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point it was kind of like, I felt like I had it all. I had a really cute husband. We had a really successful business that we started together and we had just broken into seven figures and we're doing really well. Mm. So, so many dreams of mine were opening up. We just had a baby boy, which, and I, you know, it was kind of like everything was going according to my plan, so to speak. Right. And then we just were in the process of buying our, my dream house. So we were buying this beautiful 6,400 square foot home. And I started to realize something was wrong. And that led to, you know, a series of events and things coming out that led to us getting divorced. And in that was the first time I really felt like I was losing a huge thing that to me had, it had represented me making it in life. Yeah. But what, okay. So what was that realization moment? Cause I talk about that, um, in the sacred remembering intro, uh, like maybe there's been this moment where you thought, wait, I left something of myself back there. Like, what did that, what did that sound like? What started to awaken in, in you, if that's a fair word to yeah. use? Yeah, that's fair. I had this moment where I was in my room like in, I can just, I can picture it so clearly. Like I was in this master suite that, you know, was like the room of my dreams. Like you had bought the house. Yeah. We had bought the house. Okay. We had moved into it. And I was trying to navigate this and like come to terms with the fact that I was really going to get divorced and that my son was going to be raised with a, um, a broken household, so to speak. And I, just broke down crying and realized my focus had been on these things and more of like the representation of what I thought like showed that I was happy and successful. So I was basically in this huge house by myself Mm -hmm. and realized I'm in this house full of things that literally mean nothing now that I'm not going to have my family here with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would you say was the driving force for you up until that point? Like the woman in you that wanted to have it all, what, what did she, what was she aware of the woman prior yeah. to that moment? What was she aware of that she was really questing for? Yeah. Well, that's such a good question because the first answer is just that she just was living the life she thought she was supposed to live. She just kind of fitting in with everybody going through the motions. But beneath that, which I can see now is the girl that was hurting the little girl that was hurting 
and didn't want to, was so afraid to face the fact that she actually needed some help to deal with her childhood traumas. And so she just wanted to cover that up with living a good life that looked nice from the outside. Okay. Thank you. Like covering it up, filling the hole. And then, I mean, we, we just can't keep that up forever in my experience. I mean, do you want to speak to that or just like, what would that have been like? This is what I wonder, like, what would that have been like to try to maintain that? Or you just, you just knew that you couldn't uphold it anymore, that there had to be healing. Well, you know, I honestly was more forced into the situation to start Mm -hmm. with Uh because I, yeah, like I chose to file for divorce and So that's, you know, there was a decision there, obviously, to not continue on. But then that's what led to my true healing and awakening. But I, you know, I definitely think that once we get a glimpse of, like, the fact that we're living on lies and false pretenses and something that feels, like, fake to us and authentic, you can't really go back. Like it literally feels like you'd be poisoning yourself if you were to continue living on with this lie. Wow. Yeah. Poisoning yourself. That's, I mean, that's a bold statement and like potent. I feel that like Mm -hmm. you would have to live with that poison inside of you. Yeah. And lifting up that, like we try that for a while, (laughs) you know, like many of us as women try that for a while because being bold, being ourselves saying like, Oh, I actually don't want all this stuff. I amassed. I actually don't want this marriage. Like those are really, really brave and courageous things that, that do shake us. They shake life Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, but I know too, to speak to your first part of the question, It also is, I think, just what we're committed to and what our values. And for me, my values shifted. Like I was raised in a religious family where I saw this certain life path that I was supposed to take. And all of a sudden I realized, okay, this is not working out the way that they said it would. And what do I actually want? And all of a sudden I realized I wasn't even aware of what I wanted. I was literally just following the model. Right. And it's impossible to succeed at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to feel good and satisfied and alive and vibrant, like all the things we really want, it it is impossible to experience that. Yeah. Thanks for adding that. Cause that is what I mean by (laughs) like, we can't, we can't be ourselves um, Mm -hmm. and be fulfilled and happy and that model. um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe unless you just like grow up in um, a family of immense support, you know, a family and a community of that really authentic support. But so many of us um, don't like, even though there might be a lot of love, there's also just a lot of unconscious programming or conscious programming that gets in the way. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about, and and I'm taking a breath here because we're kind of going into some, um, childhood trauma territory here. It feels like where you, you had said, um, that you had been living in a way such as, you know, to, to avoid feeling the effects of the trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what that was. And, and then we'll talk about how it played out in your adult life too. Would that be okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for me, I was, 
I grew up and spent the first years of my life and pretty much um, most of my childhood in a dynamic that impacted me a lot. And I wanted to, again, act like it didn't. So I was, and I am going to go into, like, I guess I just want to speak to this if anyone, you know, feels sensitive. Um, talking about traumas, I am going to speak, you know, very like clearly and mm-hmm. openly about my traumas now. Um, so I was molested by my father throughout my childhood. And it it was happening for years to where I didn't know that it was wrong when I was little. Okay. And then it shifted to where I got older and I started to, you know, like pick up on things. And I realized I don't think this is normal or right. And so at some point I, I made the conscious decision to make it stop. And there was never anything spoken. There was, there was also never anything that was forceful. It was more like, as soon as I realized I don't want this and I would avoid the situation that could like possibly lead to that, it stopped. But then I had um, my, then I had my father be weird to me. He would, um, he was mean to me after that. So I then, you know, learned that if I wasn't giving someone what, what they wanted, then, you know, I wasn't worth anything to them is what I took on. Yeah. Um, so that was my childhood dynamic. My parents got divorced when I was 13 and I was so happy. (laughs) I was like, Mm -hmm. I was devastated for my mom and my family, but I felt so much relief and I finally felt safe in my home. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next year I had my first boyfriend and I actually told him what my dad had done. He was the first person I'd ever told. And he told me I needed to tell my mom. So I told her. And of course, as you can imagine, it was like this huge, I mean, huge, devastating and also eye-opening information for her. And so she ended up um, pressing charges. So he actually went to prison. And yeah, so that's like my first big trauma. Huge. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I can tell that you've done, you've been with this, you've done a lot of work with this because you're able to speak about it so clearly. Yeah. Thank you. And I have, and it's still like, I can feel the parts of me that get scared and worry about how it will land with people, what other people will think. And, um, so, so I am grateful that now, like I can, you know, share firmly, like clearly about it. And I'm aware of those parts of me that feel scared. Right. Thank you for lifting that up because we talk a lot about women's voices and women's truth on this podcast. And, Mm -hmm you know, we, we work with our traumas and the trauma responses in our body, and then we choose which stories to tell. Mm. And so you're, you're lifting the story up today in service to the people that are listening. And, you know, I think that there's a piece of us, this is my experience. It gets stronger every time we do allow ourselves to tell the stories that had to be secret. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or so long. Mm-hmm. And we're always managing though, or being with managing in a healthy way, those parts of ourselves that still feel the trauma response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because something so big as what you experienced and that 
belief that you shared with us that you had to give a part of yourself away in order to be loved. I know that that's not exactly how you said it, but um, yeah, you know, I'm plays out in in relationships. Those mm-hmm. kinds of things don't just go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, just yes. I agree with everything you're saying, and and then I have um like a kind of like a second <laughs> experience. Yeah. If you'd like me to share that as well. Yes, please. Yes. You are free to share whatever is arising for you. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, I feel called to share it and I'm not totally sure why, but I realize that like having these two events and then everything that I've learned and grown through after it definitely kind of puts it all together. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So after that, I actually, I went on to be like a pretty happy teenager and I actually was very aware and conscious at a young age. I had learned about like the law of attraction and all kinds of things from so young. Um, but I was, I remember consciously thinking, I don't want to be like a stereotypical girl who's been molested. Like I remember thinking that at a young age. And what did you think happened to those? Like, what was your belief system about stereotypical? I believed that there was something wrong with them, that they were broken, that they had daddy issues and that they weren't, um, that they were looked at differently. Okay. So then how did that change your behavior? Well, so the thing is that I pretty much suppressed it and avoided it and ignored it. Okay. And, but what that did was, I mean, yeah, it did help me survive through those years, but it didn't help me to actually address what was actually happening. I had heard, I also recall being really aware from a really young age, hearing that we shouldn't be victims. So I was trying to not be a victim. I was way too afraid to admit that I may have been victimized Mm. uh, to actually get the help I needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really that had me like live. I was, I had a a while there where I was a really happy teenager. Like I Mm. actually felt um, at some point like pretty good about, I felt finally safe in my own home. You know, I had my mom who was such a huge support for me. And, but I also was still, you know, building this all on top of my secret pain. So that was still there. And then when I was 21 years old, I had just bought my first house. I had, I was really, I was doing well. I was happy again, like thought I was, you know, doing all the things I should do. And then my older brother who had been diagnosed with bipolar um, was really struggling. And my mom and I decided to move him out of his house and into mine because he wasn't paying his bills. And we thought that'd be the solution. And a couple weeks after he moved in with me, he took his own life. Wow. And so I, I came home and found him. And mm. so it was, you know, I lost my brother who was actually like the closest like human I've ever been to. Like he knows me more than I I would probably say still anyone to date Mm -hmm. and the trauma of finding his body. Mm -hmm. So, so I went into PTSD after that. And again, didn't know it, didn't tell anybody and pretty much suffered silently. Okay. So you just went on living. Did you go to therapy? Did you? No. 
Okay. So I did go to therapy when I was younger. So I did do, I did do, um, some decent work when I was younger around my sexual trauma. Um, so it wasn't very deep, but it was, you know, I did do some for this, for my brother, I did nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember making one attempt to reach out to somebody and I was, well, actually it was the, they sent the police department sent a, I'm trying to remember his role. Um, he was a therapist. They basically sent someone to my home the night that he died. And I remember saying something to him, like, I'm so mad right now. I just am so mad that he left me. Like, I felt like we were like, you know, teammates in this life. And now he left me. And right now I'm just angry that he did that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the thing that the guy said made me so mad. I think he said something like, Oh, I understand why you feel that way. Or like something that just it, like, I remember feeling infuriated in my body. And I was like, I don't think anyone's going to understand me right now. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you, did you suppress it or and find a substitute in your life. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. Maybe so, I know about that because I did that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, oh, you get me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So I was kind of going through a little bit of a party phase. And when that happened, I withdrew from all my friends and decided to go back to church. Wow. Yeah. So probably like a week after he died, I went to church and I started. And I remember too, like I, a few months after, because I had a lot of support from friends, but at that point I still didn't quite know how to connect with people. Like I did really did protect myself. And now I see that Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, I didn't really know. I, yeah. A few months after he died, I realized like, oh, no one else is talking about it anymore. Like, I guess I'm supposed to act normal. Like, I guess it's not supposed to still be impacting me. So I made the conscious decision to act normal. Okay. And yeah, so I started going through the motions, but remember I was very aware. I literally felt like I couldn't smile. Like, I don't think I smiled or laughed for like almost a year. Okay. Um, and then I actually got married about a a year and less, less than a year and a half later. Okay. So I went right back into, okay, I just need to like, pretend like I'm okay and do the things that I'm, the church tells me will make me happy. Like Mm -hmm. go to church, read the scriptures, get married in the temple. So I'm going to do that. Okay. So you did that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then that brings us to that moment sitting in that house going, okay, I achieved, I followed the path that I thought I needed to follow. And here I am. And yeah, yeah. You know, and actually I can see right now how significant that moment was because it was the realization that doing what I thought I was told would bring me happiness didn't work. So it was like the moment I called bullshit on everything that I had been told. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's an awakening for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, girl. So I would love to bridge into what happens after that. You know, so there's there's that moment sitting in your bedroom, and then there's the moment getting up on stage and owning um, that three years before. You know, so there was a there was a three year time span, or mm-hmm. or a little bit more, probably from you sitting in that room to you being on that debex stage. So. Yeah, just I'm going to leave this question more open-ended, but I would love to hear some of your process in that time span and since then. And, um, you know, maybe we could phrase it like, a, what are some of the greatest lessons or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like sure. what happens after um, or what did the walk back start to look like? The walk back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I can see a way to kind of um, summarize it in a way because it really was, it basically, after that moment, I really dropped into my quest to healing and finding the truth and ultimately seeking happiness. And so with that, I wanted to learn. I got very obsessed with learning, working on, um, I just realized I want to say that differently. I was going to say working on myself, but I started, I just became obsessed with personal development and that's where it started. So I was obsessed with that and also promised myself that my next business would be something that was soul centered. Mm -hmm. That was my life purpose and mission being fulfilled in the world rather than building a business for the money. Mm -hmm. So I had those two intentions Mm -hmm. and I basically, in those three years, I threw myself into every course that every course coaching training that seemed like (laughs) the right thing to do. So anything that I felt called to, Mm-hmm. I jumped on it. Mm-hmm. And I also will say like in that time while I was learning and growing, I really see that time as like what still feels like my dark night of the soul mm-hmm. because I was learning and becoming more and more aware of all these things that I had going inside of me that were scary to face and also had all my limiting beliefs coming right to the surface. So I still had so much running the show that was unconscious that that was getting worked out, but I was so committed to it working out that I truly believe that's what led to my rock bottom Mm -hmm. because had I chosen to continue faking it or using the things I learned to survive, I could have like, I could have very much gone and gotten a job from the very beginning and, you know, gone through the motions, but I refused to do that. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to interrupt, but I I would love to hear more for listeners mm-hmm. about that experience with the subconscious, because I think sometimes as women, I've done this and I watch women do this. So I'm, I'm normalizing it. We set about a path of self-improvement or even an awakening um, mm-hmm. with almost like a management mentality or... <laughs> Yeah. Like a control mental, like I'm going to do this, it's going to be nice and neat and clean. And then, you know, we're going to integrate the lessons, but then there's all this shit in the subconscious. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I oh love, it's not funny when you're, you're going through it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny because 
yeah, like I thought, oh, I'm doing all this great stuff. Like there's only up from here, you know, <laughs> that, but, that, that yeah. trap, like let's just name that right then because you can think that your awakening will be also pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> yeah, and that was my cold hard truth. Is nope, this stuff isn't pretty, <laughs> That's right. and it's actually okay. Right. Um, but yeah, I on that path, I really saw where I just was so out of whack internally. Like I could no longer deny it because I wanted to manifest and create from an aligned place. And it wasn't working. So I kept thinking I was doing it. And then things would manifest in my life that were not what I wanted. And mm. I could no longer deny that something was out of alignment. Yeah. And to be honest, it was kind of scary because I didn't really know what it was. Like, I didn't really know what needed to happen. I just knew like, okay, I thought that I was thinking positive, but obviously I'm not because this shit keeps happening. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that was like, I think my cold, hard wake up call that felt terrifying at first until I realized, do you know what? Like, this isn't really truly about me. Like I felt so much shame around it until I caught this certain phrase that made such a huge difference for me. I started to think, okay, any woman who had like would have experienced the exact same the exact same things that I have experienced would probably be the exact same as me right now. Mm. And I started to relate to it. Yes. Like I started to relate to it as my programming and not shaming myself. Like I could really see, okay, I, I didn't come into this world with something wrong with me. I learned all these thoughts and beliefs because of my traumas. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for taking us here. So you and I have used the phrase in our communication, identifying with the trauma. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and about that, what you were just opening up this time period or thought limiting beliefs that are attached to the trauma and then the decision to live as yourself rather than the identification with the trauma. Yeah. As I listened to you say that I had this flood of emotions just come over me Mm. because that is, I think like the most impactful and healing thing that I have experienced is, is that separation of believing that there's something wrong with me and seeing these are the experiences that I had that I was born into and had no choice over. And that impacted my human mind and body. Yeah. And so for me, finding that I could share these things and share my experiences and even share my triggers that I still experience and have people love me and accept me and even understand that caused a physical shift in my body that had me see like, yeah, I don't need to be ashamed anymore. Yeah. So you were lucky to have a a community of people that could reflect that back to you. Yeah. And I will say though, that was not, I had to seek that out. Okay, That was not, I, I didn't like 
wake up and realize, oh, all my friends and family totally get me. And I'm just, you know, thinking they don't. I was in a community that, you know, had contributed to the programming that I should keep it a secret. I had to reach out and branch out to find that support. Okay. Thank you for saying that for, yeah, for women listeners. um, I think that there's often a feeling that you're alone or when we are, like you're saying in that original community, you're looking in the reflection coming back to you as the same as what it has always been. Um, Yeah. And I do, Mm -hmm. I feel it's important to add this in there too, that I also know sharing with people that don't occur for you as safe can be further re-traumatizing. And I tried that. Yeah. Cause I thought, Oh, I just need to be sharing. And it definitely hurt me more and had me, it, it confirmed to me my fears that people are going to look at me differently. And so I'll definitely say the first part of that is sharing with someone who is trained or has had the same experience and understands and truly feels safe in your body for you to share. Yeah. Thank you. So important. A trauma informed way of sharing. I Mm -hmm. just recorded an e-course that's going to be available for women. That's a trauma informed way to move from silence into living in your sacred truth and your high lady. Yeah. And because we, it's not about just raising your voice as a woman and sharing, you know, um, in a non like discriminatory way or a non uh, anyway, I can't think of the word right now, but like mm-hmm. sharing with everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really about tuning into you and regulating those trauma responses in the body so that when and if you decide to share, you are doing it in a way that's embodied. But it yeah. sounds like you just dis- you discovered that and then it was important for you to share your saying. Yeah. Feeling. It was. And actually I want to point this out just because we did start with talking about pretty girl syndrome. After that, I did, I hosted an online event called breaking pretty girl syndrome. And I shared so openly and honestly about everything. And I withdrew after that because I had this major vulnerability hangover. Thank you. Vulnerability hangover. Yes. Another (laughs) term we all need to know. (laughs) Yeah. And I again was like, Oh no, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I handle this? And then, yeah, I met women who talked about that and they helped me see like, no, this, like, this is okay. Like hold that part of yourself near you because that's scary. And it's teaching you something, you know? Yeah. It's like when we stretch, there's going to be that, oh, what have I done? Yes. Um, And, but if we were, I'll say like divinely guided in the stretch, Mm -hmm. I mean, the first few episodes that I recorded of this podcast were like that. I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) The divine stretch, you know, and it, and it continues to stretch me. Um, But yeah, that normalizing that afterwards, or I mean, sometimes in it, sometimes afterwards, there's this like, it's like stretching a rubber band. And then there's going to be this like pullback. Mm -hmm. And we have to know that there's going to be that, that pullback, um, but then find the new, the new space that we occupy, like the new uh, extent of our stretch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you were just like, I'm going to do this breaking pretty girl syndrome, um, interview. What did you call it? it w- um, I called it a summit. 
summit. Thank you for uh-huh. that word. Yeah. And, and that's how we met and we had an interview on there and yeah. So you just shared and shared and shared in your summit. And then there was like, a, Oh my gosh. So I want to make sure though, that we, um, covered that, that going back to the trauma identification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if there was anything there that wanted to be said. It felt like we, I moved on from that maybe a little bit early or something, but um, yeah, I just wanted to circle back and see if there was anything else you wanted to add about the limiting beliefs or, or like life while you're in a trauma identification and then like, yeah, moving that. yeah thank you. And I know that's so powerful to, to speak to. So, yeah. So for me, when I was identified with my trauma, I, one, one major thing that would happen for me is I felt scared and I didn't know who to trust. Mm -hmm. So I, if I felt triggered in any way, all of a sudden, everybody around me would start to occur as an enemy in a way, like, I don't know if I can trust them, even if it's someone who I was in a relationship with or my family, all of a sudden my mind would start thinking, I don't actually know if they're good for me. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if they have good intentions. And so being, um, in that state of trauma, and I know this isn't exactly what you're asking, but I'll definitely, Mm -hmm. okay. Um, everything occurred differently for me when I was in that place because, um, I was always looking out for people's hidden agendas or, uh, yeah, whatever they could be hiding. And so I, that kept me, you know, from trusting anybody and that I literally would feel fear in my body all the time. And so I think for me, that's something that I'm so grateful for that shifted as I did move out of identifying with my trauma because I thought I couldn't get away from it. I thought that was just me and my life. Like I was doomed <laughs> to experience yeah. that whole life. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to get back to. So I'm going to go like one layer yeah. deeper there because I think you and I are just using this phrase, like identifying with the trauma. And, and I want to actually describe what that feels like for listeners, yeah. because I think as women, we do this and we don't know that we're doing it. Like you were just saying, like there, you just thought that this was just you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is so good. This feels okay. so <laughs> yeah, because it's like this aha, it's, it's another awakening when you recognize that you've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no fault, like really want to normalize that. Of course we're doing this as women, yeah. like, of course we're doing this because, you know, the traumas um, have been, have been many. Yes. Yep. And, and again, just taking it back to, it is the programming. Like when we experience traumas, our bodies and our minds learn things to protect us and going forward, we carry that with us. And that really is nothing to be ashamed of because yeah, it's just our programming. And yeah. And there were so many things that for so many years, I didn't know. I didn't know to relate to the programming. So yeah. So for me, it showed up like not trusting people and Mm self-sabotaging and I actually realized that I felt like I wasn't allowed to be happy. So I had this cap, like 
I truly, I had this belief that people didn't want to see me happy. And that was another one that I know came from the trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have this, I have a friend who was in front of me one day, we were face to face and she was talking about her relationship and she was talking about um, like the trauma patterns playing out in relationships. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said this thing that I actually want to have printed on t-shirts. <laughs> she said, I am not a wounded thing. I am not a wounded thing. And um, like for her to stand there and say that embodied as a woman, I was like, e- this is, this is so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that identification with trauma is identification of like my, my myself as the woman, myself as having experienced the wounding, myself as having experienced the trauma, and therefore that thing makes me who I am. Um, and then the the alternative is to remember that you are not that wounded thing, that you are not the things that have happened to you, but instead there is like this sourced human on the inside there's this soul and then there's an uncovering um when you align with that first i talk about this a lot like aligning with the soul essence versus aligning with the trauma and when we align with the soul essence and remember to do that worlds open up yeah yeah yeah, I completely agree. And for me, like the, like the on the court example is me realizing and knowing like I'm a spirit having a human experience. Yeah. And again, I know I was born perfect, whole and complete. And these are just the experiences. It's not me. Right. So in a way, I just actually... Uh, opened my eyes, glanced out my notes and saw the word freedom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, you know, can you, can you talk about some of the freedom that you found um, on this journey? Yeah, sure. And actually what just popped in my mind, segueing from what we're just talking about to this is that the part of us that has been hurt and may still have triggers can exist at the same time as the us that is amazing. Thank you. Yes, it will. Yeah. Uh And that's where I get the freedom because I still like, this is a practice that I still practice. I'll catch my mind going down this path of fear and I call it a rabbit hole now. So I try to catch myself before I go down a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And now I'll be like, Oh my gosh, hold on. This is, this is how I say it in my head. I say, this is my human right now. (laughs) Like this is my human. She's scared. Of course she's scared. (laughs) Then it's kind of like all of a sudden I become the observer of it. Mm -hmm. And in that exact moment, the me that is just a totally powerful and amazing loving person is there as well. Yeah. And so I know you can't see me, but like I'm holding my, both of my palms out. Cause it's like, they're both here right mm-hmm. now. And as soon as I become the observer of my patterns and habits and don't make them wrong, yeah. the me, the true me emerges. Thank you. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. I was sitting in meditation one day and I heard be gentle with your human. <laughs> <laughs> 
Totally. <laughs> yeah, like we have really big things going on. We're just, you know, we're here in a human world. And so, yeah, I really love that both and, you know, both and you're not all, all of us on in one day going to be a completely cured trauma-free woman. You know, you're just choosing to align with the truth of who you are more yeah. and more and more um, and reclaiming. I love that word, like reclaiming mm-hmm. those parts of ourselves and bringing more and more and more online so that we're more robust in who we yes. are. Yes. So beautifully said. And I really do feel like that's where the freedom comes. And that's where it came for me is seeing, I am not actually going to make all of these behaviors and patterns and triggers go away. They, they absolutely get better as I do work, but it's not about making them disappear. It's about still living my life and identifying with my true eternal self, even when those things come up. Yes. Thank you. And I just really want to thank you woman to woman for owning your journey out loud and normalizing um, that, that we are a work in progress. We are the both and like we are Mm -hmm. the sum of what we have gone through and endured. And we are, our essence. Yeah. So tell us, yeah. Tell us what you're up to now. Sure. I would love to. So right now I I'll say this is my bigger mission. 100% is sharing about this. And I'm so passionate about women overcoming their trauma and living the life that they love and that is deeply fulfilling and really feeling joy, like true joy within their being. Mm -hmm. So that's my bigger mission right now for my work. It's been this amazing journey that I, you know, is a whole story in and of itself, but where I trusted that I surrendered and trusted the universe each step of the way. And it's been the most phenomenal journey to get me to where I am now that I could never have scripted or planned. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah. And so <laughs> <it's> now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it started and this all happened after breaking pretty gross syndrome. Cause at that time I shared, I had no money. I'd spent all my money, literally had nothing. My business was making nothing. And from there on, and I did get a job doing hair to get me through that time, but quickly quit it. <laughs> and okay. yep. And then I started, I, I, somebody that I knew that we both know actually posted something saying they needed help with their business online on Facebook. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I should respond to her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why am I doing this? But I'm like, okay, no, I'm trusting, like mm-hmm. trusting. And I'm feeling in that state of being cared for. And my whole message there was I am supported. I'm deeply mm-hmm. supported. And as soon as I stop trying to force it and control things, I can actually let the universe bring me what I'm asking for. So that was the first step. I responded to her. I ended up coming on as a team member for her. And then I ended up being referred more and more people. So soon I had a whole team. Um, I had a whole, a whole group of clients that I couldn't do the work for. And then I started to bring on my own team. And in that time I got trained on this beautiful, beautiful work of supporting divine feminine creatives Wow! in their business. Yeah. 
So now what I do is I, I'm, I'm now calling myself a business team strategist, but what I'm really doing is helping divine feminine women like yourself get their message and their work out there and realize it doesn't have to be hard. They don't have to do it alone. And, you know, starting to bring on their very first team member, getting ready for that expansion, that new level of abundance and support. So important. Oh my gosh, because there are so many female entrepreneurs. um, And I know because I've walked it, you know, like still walking it, that when we set out to do this female entrepreneur thing, we're like, well, I'm going to bring my gift into the world. um, I hope, like, I hope the world wants it. And Mm -hmm. then it ends up or not ends up, but on that path, it can start to feel really lonely. And you're like, well, I really wanted to do my own thing, but I'm now I'm an entrepreneur and I'm like an island. And so So I definitely um, like in joining women's masterminds and joining up with other women um, actually experienced quite the alchemy in my own life, in my own creative work, in my business, when other women were on board with me, like on teams, um, in communities. And so what you're talking about is so divine (laughs) because it sounds like business strategist, but really it's like women are not supposed to do this alone. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for seeing that and hearing it and speaking to it because that is what it is. And it's what I learned, which I now see as like this divine training I was walked through from my rock bottom. I had to learn to ask for help And that was like a shock to my nervous system, but then receiving the help was like another ultimate cooling, relaxing to my nervous system that I've never experienced. Yes. Yeah. And that's where I learned it. I learned I need support and I saw all these other women need support too. Yes. Thank you for doing that work. It's so amazing. And, and that last piece of what you just said, when your nervous system got to relax into that, I mean, that's life-changing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. life-changing when you can learn to like settle into who you are and really trust. Yeah, it so. is. And I think, I think I'm going to do a piece where I record through that whole journey because it is just the most profound thing to see like the teeniest, tiniest baby steps and how when I held those parts of me that were scared close, I was able to keep going. And now I have a thriving business. It's been less than a year. Like I technically started that part of my business in February. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that the alchemy was through this, like other supporting a woman, you know, Uh, so powerful too. Amazing. Well, I would love to hear that conversation. So when you record that, please send the link this way and I'll be sure to share it with this audience as well. Um, You can also post it in the Sacred Remembering Facebook group that's available to all listeners. Okay, Um, thank you. Christina, will you please share with us, first of all, thank you so much for being here and thank you for your story and thank you for lifting up your story so that other women can hear it. Um, creating that alchemy with your words. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you so much for inviting me and for creating this space and being the vessel for it to come through.
Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, please tell listeners where they can find you. It sounds like, and tell us, um, who's your ideal client right now? Like if a woman's listening and she has her own business and she's wondering if it's time to bring on someone new or looking for a new coach, is that the time that she reaches out to you? Um, yes. Although sometimes that can occur a little differently okay. for some women. Usually it's somebody who knows they want to expand their business. They know that they're pretty maxed out with what they can do themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also know that they're in a little bit of what I call a manic manifesting state where they have gotten good at manifesting what they want in their business, but it's fairly unpredictable. And they also know that they're avoiding some of the foundations, like having their finances truly in order and having like the systems and structures of their business in place. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you help with masculine, feminine balance in business. Yep. I do. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Amazing. So yeah, so somebody who wants that, and I know um, sometimes it's women who are literally like, I need a team member tomorrow and I don't want it to feel like more work. Like I need less work on my plate. Um, so it's for them. And then also someone who's like, I really want a team, but that seems literally scary and impossible. And how would I pay for it? Um, it's also for you because that's the stuff that we get to start working through. And the first thing is not jumping to bring in on a team member. The first thing is opening up to support and getting your foundation in place so that you feel safe and secure and can really treat, create cr- true wealth wa- rather than just random manifestations that aren't predictable. Got it. So powerful. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Um, Please shout out your, where, where online can people find you? And then I'll also put it in the show notes. Yes. Thank you. So the best place to find me right now is on my Facebook page. So if you just look up my name, Christina Sloan, spelled K-R-Y-S-T-I-N-A, you'll see me. Um, That's also, my website is also christinasloan.com. And my business is Queen Support, but I'm working on my website right now. So the best place would be Facebook right now. Okay. Awesome. Yes, the evolution. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Sarah. Okay. Until next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Sarah. I really believe that every woman has a truth that she's not yet telling and that this is affecting her entire life. That's why I've created a women's mastermind beginning in early January of 2020. What sacred truth are you ready to embody this year? Visit sarahpoet.com now and sign up for more information on this mastermind. I will be teaching, leading, and together we will be co-creating a transformational experience where every woman in this sacred circle will rise into the embodied truth of who she is. This is potent. If you can feel it, then 2020 is your year to really embody your true essence, then please visit sarahpoet.com and get on the waiting list now. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. 
Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected. And here's to your path of sacred remembering. Remembering.